Let's go to the comics. Uh, let's see if Brother Andre Marie is there. I tell, hold on, let me check real quick. So we can start our Wisdom Wednesday celebrations here. Um, brother, you are there. I can hear you. I are here. Yes, yes. <laughs> Good morning, Mike. You are not allowed to take my malapropisms and use them. No, 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 no. I, I just, I just, I, I made up my own malapropism. You said you are here, and I just applied the, the, the second person uh, singular uh, verb to myself. It was a strained effort uh, at humor. Uh, well, when Fiorella comes on in the morning, we do cross talks. You go, Mike, are you there? And I go, I are. <laughs> and she oh, goes, okay. And she well, says, I don't claim to be totally, original. She says, that's totally improper grammar. <laughs> brother, brother. Okay, well, I, I guess great minds think alike, and so do ours. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? How are you? Are you surviving school year 2022? Um, so far, yeah, and it's exactly a week since we started, and I haven't been put in the funny farm yet. I think it's time to celebrate. <laughs> I, I, I think I heard some good news. I believe that uh, David Simpson told me on Sunday that uh, they were able, that he and Rachel were able to scare up some teachers for you guys. Uh, uh, did that did that pay off? The, uh, yes, it actually did. Um, we, we tapped into a Christendom college network, and we have some very fine young people who are helping us. Yes, it's that, great. Uh, brother, that is fantastic. So uh, we have been praying for you guys, so it sounds like Our Lady has answered some of our prayers. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, brother, before we get started, because we have a larger audience now than we do when, when we're going to finish because of the work day, please tell all of our listeners why they should come to the St. Benedict Center Conference and when it is. All right. So the St. Benedict Center Conference is the weekend of October um, 6th and 7th. It's, a, it's always a Friday and Saturday, and Sunday's kind of a, a holdover day. There's nothing scheduled that day, but a lot of people stay. You know, go, we go to Mass at the parish and, and hang out a bit. Um, it's great because it's, it's um, first of all, there's phenomenal talks with, with a very... Uh, informed and, um, and in some cases entertaining um, speakers uh, and so it's very informative I think it's also motivational because people tell us they feel motivated to do to do good things after being at our conference and yeah there's a lot of as you can expect at an event like this um, uh, you know fellowship you know the, the 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 gatherings that take place the way that our, our event is scheduled it's not one thing on top of another so you sort of get intellectual indigestion and you're you're falling asleep in one lecture after another after another uh, because we, the the schedule doesn't allow for any kind of natural interaction with your fellow humans we've made it kind of a breathy schedule and people seem to like it and it's also in in uh, beautiful New England fall uh, on our campus which is um, looking nice these days and um you know if you if you if you want to see the the herd of pigs or the chickens or the <laughs> rabbits or the ducks or the goats or um well we'll have um we should have a uh, a um, what do you call it a greenhouse full of tomatoes at that point 
Um, yeah, you, you can you can see all that stuff too. You can see some of our agricultural operations, and of course, interact with the brothers and sisters and your fellow um, conference attendees, including and speakers, including um, our MCMC. Because <laughs> uh, as you as 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 usual, you will be do or as last couple of years, you will be doing our MC duties for the conference, Mike. Yes, yes, I uh, look forward to it every year. It's the only place where I, I I still get invited to speak, so you have that distinction or that shame. It's either an honor or a shame, one of the two. <laughs> 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 so uh, uh, at Catholicism.org, where do we find the link to sign up? Well, actually, if you go if you go to Catholicism.org and and you can find and you can do nothing else, you can scroll around on the really cool big um, banner ad that's at the top, and you will find uh, a black ad with our our seal on it with the Immaculate Heart on it. St. Benedict Center Conference, October seven and eight, twenty twenty two, and you click on that baby, and it will take you to um, all the facts you need to know and more. Okay, I got it there. So uh, at the top of the page, Catholicism.org. Again, wonderful time in New Hampshire. It's a perfect time of year because the foliage is. We might catch the peak this year, brother, because it's been a little cold this summer. So you, you, we might actually be there for the peak foliage when you get the beautiful uh, oranges and reds, you know, and with, with the remnant of the yellow or the gold that's still there. So it's a great time. Uh, you'll get to meet a lot of crusaders will show up at this. So go to Catholicism.org and go sign up today. Uh, and this year you should be able to travel by plane, should you dare. <laughs> Don't fly American, though. Um, but, brother, I'll be flying because I'll be at Walls and West this year, so I'll probably be flying out of Houston, so I can probably get direct to uh, 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 to Boston um, uh, and just make it an easy flight. So, again, October the 7th and the 8th at the St. Benedict Center Conference. What's the theme this year? The theme this year is The Catholic Church Has the Answer which is the name of a book uh, that was published many years ago, an excellent bo apologetics book. But we, we thought it was a subject that could be taken up by any number of speakers um, on the different things that they uh, have as their competency. So uh, Joe Doyle's going to approach it from a certain angle. Um, and, and involving uh, the church's social teaching. Uh, John Sharp is going to take it from a certain angle. Uh, actually, surprisingly, not involving the church's social teaching, which is his general bailiwick uh, at these events. But he will be addressing it from the point of view of uh, music as a sort of cultural, uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church having the, the answer on, on culture. Huh? Uh, music is one of these things where, uh, you know, one of, the, one of these things that... Um, there's a lot of bad and 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 uh, that's out there, but there's also a lot of good that's accessible. And um, you know, you you speak a lot of Mike about the true, the good, and the beautiful. And there's certainly an absence of beauty in in music uh, today. But there is a you know we have um, well over a thousand years of musical patrimony in the Catholic Church, and um, all the I mean, I think John and I both agree on this. All of the uh, all of one's emotional needs, aesthetic needs, um, all, everything that could possibly be expressed that requires music to do so, ha has been in music that is uh, Catholic, either specifically liturgical music or even in a broader sense, the music that was produced by um, European Catholic culture. 
And um, so John's going to go probably on a little bit of a Jeremiah against most modern music. Um, good, and, good. Uh, and, and talk about, um, you know, what, what is what, what, the good things that are accessible. It's amazing. You know, I remember when I was a kid uh, in high school, when I re- truly fell in love with classic, broadly speaking, classical music, with serious music, uh, and classical is just one uh, era. But I mean, everything from the medieval to the to the Renaissance to the Baroque, um, to the classical to the uh, romantic, uh, and even some modern, you know, um, some limited, uh, things that I totally fell in love with when I used to go to Tower Records, remember that? And, um, you know, it's amazing. There was a real renaissance in ancient music when I was a, when I was a teenager, and it's continuing today. And you've got composers who um, were relatively unknown, even Baroque composers were relatively unknown, who now people are making original recordings of their works. Um, so um, John and I talk um, turkey about this stuff regularly. In fact, when the two of us get on the phone, it's dangerous because we'll end up talking about that stuff instead of what we really should talk about. <laughs> um, but he, he's also teaching in our school, by the way, remotely. He's teaching music. Um, That's fantastic. And I'm co-teaching the, the class with him. So it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's an exciting venture. And since the, the good commander is a very demanding person, um, uh, our students are, 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 you know, sort of on their toes with him. So it's, it's working well, though. Okay, so uh, yours truly is going to talk about the Catholic farm has the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what I gave to, to Brian Kelly. I think it was Brian. Who, uh, yeah, it was Brian. Who uh, asked that's what I gave to Brian Kelly. The Catholic Farm has the answer. Uh, and um, you know, I also want to talk a little bit, and I talked about this to our, you know, we had a second Crusader Congress in Michigan two uh, Saturdays ago, brother. Uh, Bob and Julie Kopka, who will be at the St. Benedict Center, convened at their house. There were almost 40 people that showed up. Uh, I opened the day up, and I asked Judy, Miss Julie, I said, did you choose August the 19th intentionally? She goes, no, why? August the 20th? I said, it's a Crusader Congress, and it's the feast day of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Uh, So I talked about St. Bernard. And uh, and 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 the first uh, the the second crusade and the the speech that he gave on that hill in France that it inspired uh, was it uh, King Louis the uh, was it the ninth it was the seventh I want to say it was King Louis the seventh to join the second crusade because the Mohammedans I guess were retaking part of the the Holy Land where there there was a threat that they were going to. Um, In any event, uh, so we we had, I I, I talked to them a little bit about St. Bernard and about what a great model saint he is for people that, uh, you know, when there is an evil out there and the Mohammedan and the Mohammedan empires were evils and, you know, they had, uh, they had uh, violent, sacrilegious, blasphemous plans for the Holy Sepulchre, for the, uh, for the, the Marian sites, uh, the, the, the the Holy House of, of Nazareth and what have you, uh, um, then that's why Urban II signed off on the crusade, on the, on the, on the first crusade. But, you know, St. Bernard was for the, for the second crusade, you know, and he, and he basically, you know, he had written that letter when Hugh de Payon had written him about forming the Knight Order, what we call it today the Knights Templar, it was, you know, he wrote to St. Bernard. It was said, brother, I believe, that the 12th century 
that uh, that Saint Bernard ran the twelfth ran Europe in the twelfth century or something to that effect. He carried the twelfth century on his back. He carried the twelfth century on his back. So a Catholic <laughs> saint of of. of just he's an inspiration to me, and I have a daily devotion to Saint Bernard. Um, in, in any event, so the, the the crusade has carried on now, and our friends in uh, in the Great North had their own little uh, their own Congress and their own conference, and uh, uh, some some great things are going to come out of that. Um, and I wanted to talk. Uh, uh, I talked to them about systems of government, brother. Um, and I drew heavily from you about the uh, the true common good and about how our governments are not organized to promote the true common good. And what I'd like to talk a little bit about today with you is that kind of that theme. And look at what is happening now. Are you familiar with what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi? No, no, I'm not. Okay, okay. So there is the, ult the, the true common good, which is... Uh, the, the state exists to assist in salvation, right? The true common good, as you explain it, and others explain it. Uh, but there is also a sort of, uh, there is a, a, a kind of a municipal common good, if you will. Um, and if we're going to have these governments that are going to purport to carry out and to do things on behalf of, of this second tier of common good, well, they ought to at least be able to discharge the simplest things, brother. 160,000 people in Jackson, Mississippi do not have and will not have drinking water in the foreseeable future. All the schools are shut down. The National Guard is distributing water. The one wastewater treatment facility that the city was running has collapsed. So hmm. all they have is what's called potable water or potable water. This is a complete and entirely avoidable collapse of an entire municipal utility uh, program run by an American, uh, 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 the, the government of an American city that, uh, that is now co collapsed right in front of our very eyes here. 160,000 people now without water. And the governor and the mayor are saying, we don't know when there's going to be water. We don't know when you're going to get drinkable water. So they've even shuttered some of the some of the wings of hospitals. This is a, 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 a why isn't this on the, the, the headline of the of the what is it the uh, Manchester Union Leader? That's the newspaper, right? Yes, actually it's the New Hampshire Union Leader now. Okay, the New Hampshire Union Leader. This should be on the cover. This is a, this is a human this is a tragedy. This is a human uh, human misery and suffering that's happening right in full in, in, in full sight and I can't I, it's hard to find a news story about it if we didn't have people that lived in Jackson and were sending us stuff going like hey man hey Mike do you know that this is going on but this is what this is this is their government corrupt as it is on parade here I don't think Jackson's going to be the last major American city to fall so it seems that there is a, uh, um, there's going to have to be, brother, a reorganization of sorts. As a matter of fact, at the American Conservative Magazine website today, a material agenda for a new GOP uh, by George Lieberman. Lieberman says that that there needs to be a reimagining of how we even approach the subject of what he calls economics. 
Um, we might be in a revolutionary, uh, living in a revolutionary time now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're seeing aspects of what we in our hubris have for decades called a third world country in our own supposedly first world country. Um, and it's, uh, it's not pretty and Americans won't uh, thrive under it. Uh, you know, the, the people in other places are a little bit more used to the suffering that comes with this lack of infrastructure. Um, but look, when you're when you're when you're interested in lobbing off um, the children's body parts and transmutating them into into something else, um, instead of you know doing the the fundamental things that government is there to do, or there at least to facilitate, and I'm talking basic infrastructural things, then this is the kind of thing that ought to be expected. Just like when you transform the military into a sort of paragon of wokeism. Uh, you shouldn't expect that we'll be defended and, and that we'll be doing any good in the world with our military, not that we've been doing that for decades anyway, but you, you should expect nothing but bad to follow in the wake of that. Um, and to, just to clarify, Mike, if I may, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the um, common good, and there, there's the common good, which by definition, the common good is things that can uh, be partaken of by a multitude of people without their being diminished. And and what we mean by that is it's and it's not just spiritual things. So it's we don't distinguish between real spirit real common good and you know some low, uh, fake common good. All things that are the common good are things that somehow transcend um, the, the sheer material. So, for instance, the common good includes things like education, which no matter how much you... Yes, there is, there's a finite amount of resources that go into education, but the education itself, right? Music, the culture that follows in the wake of good um, uh, arts, right? Right. Um, th these are things that can be shared. You know, uh, you, know you, can have, you can have billions of people looking at the Mona Lisa, and they're not harming the Mona Lisa. It's still there for everybody to look at, right? So that's what we mean when we talk about a common good, the common good. It's something which, by its being um, participated in by a multitude of people, is not diminished. Now, that's true of a lot of things, things that, things that transcend the sheer material. And that would include things like education, things like a, a properly functioning justice system, where laws are respected, where virtue is respected. These are all common good things. Uh, spiritual, you know, whether, the, whether the common good includes the salvation of the soul or not is a thing being debated and, you know, uh, vociferously by the so-called post-liberals versus the so-called... Uh, integralists um, and of course I'm an integralist but it, it, it uh, but we have an awful lot in common with the so-called post-liberals because they actually have some concept of the common good whereas most people who are sheer materialists and I'm including people who call themselves conservative they look at the job of the I had heard Tucker Carlson fairly recently talk about the job of the government is is this and and he made it seem as if it was just to keep people from killing each other just to keep some sort of social order right and he made it he he put it kind of in the lowest common denominator now I don't know if Tucker Carlson would defend that as the absolute only end of government um, it's certainly not what the Founding Fathers thought, 
um, uh, for what for whatever that's worth, and uh, they had a loftier notion of it. It wasn't just the social contract to keep people from killing each other. It, it was something more. It was so that men can come together and live virtuously in society. And yeah, that's the common good. That's the true common good. Well, even if it's naturally virtuous, that's the true common good. Good point. The supernatural has to be built on that. But then there's shared goods, right? Shared goods which are finite. Things like... <laughs> Water, water, <laughs> electricity. You know, th the, you know th th these things aren't infinite. These things uh, do have limited quantities, although they're abundant. Okay, it's only because of our sheer idiocy that we mismanage them. But they are that God gave them to us in abundance. There's no excuse for people going without clean water. Um, so yeah, th this is this is um, uh, an important distinction to make because a lot of what people call common good is really shared goods, things that are divided by being shared. I mean, you know, you 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 get. You know, of course, the, the water system is constantly recir recirculating, right? Um, but you know, when you use that power, well, those electrons are spent, right? You have to make more. You have to burn more fuel. These things are are, are spent, but they're we can call them shared goods. And in in part, anyway, it is the function of government to maintain a certain um, uh, order of those shared goods. But the government's job isn't simply to administer shared goods. It's also to, guard, to safeguard the common good. And because the, the apparatchiks are not safeguarding the common good, they're not even good at the, the, the shared goods. Because they've, what they've done is they've made a false set of common goods. Like wokeism, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, again, there, you know, I bet you that in Jacksonville, Mississippi, some place, some place, there's critical race theory being taught in public schools. Yep. There's wokeism. There, there might be any even even you know tr tranny library exercises, um, and and all this, and the government can't manage to get clean water to the citizenry. So, gee, that's great. They're going to be dying of diseases that we don't even generally hear of here. Uh, there's also another little thing that I uh, 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 like to throw in here, brother. Uh, that's me sending you a password reset. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Live radio, folks. Live radio. Live radio. Uh, uh, Jackson, Mississippi is the location where the Planned Parenthood clinic was that Dobbs got sued for. Oh, wow. Coincidence? Maybe not. This is retribution now by the Biden regime. They should be screaming and hollering about this. Where's FEMA? You're doing a great job, Brownie. Where's where, where's the feds? Why why isn't there a federal agency having their finger being? Why aren't they? Isn't Biden on television wagging his finger about the ineptitude of the Southern Hick hayseeds in Mississippi? Well, I'll tell you why. Jackson, Mississippi, is by and large a predominantly black city. It has a very large black population there. Um, uh, someone might even make the case that this this kind of smacks of some institutional racism going on here. That the fact that they don't care enough or can't find the time or the wherewithal to actually marshal some kind of a federal response to this because we're told that the federalities hold all the keys to human happiness and flourishing. You know, if we don't have our, 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 price, uh, our priceless government here, uh, then surely all things are going to go to the proverbial hell in the handbasket. Well, I think we can all see the handbasket and who's carrying it 
And there's not a lot of good brownies and bread in the hand basket. Instead, you get this. Uh, now, let me just add one more, then uh, uh, I'm going to pivot just a little bit to something that, or a topic that you are intimately familiar with and can wax eloquently on. The state of California has now issued through its utility regulatory board orders to the citizens of California to turn their thermostats up to 78 at a minimum. Uh, during the middle of a heat wave where temperatures are going to get up to 100 degrees during the day. Uh, they've already been under orders to conserve water. And now they're being told that they cannot even charge their little electric cars that they were instructed to buy. This one is going to be, I believe, Brother Andre, the, this, is, this is one of these events that is going to change the way this entire continent works. Because there are seven st states that rely on the water pressure and the, and the bountiful, what used to be the bountiful water that comes from what we call the Colorado River. If the Colorado River does not, if, if there's not some miracle event where there's a hundred, uh, how, how far down there? 900 feet down. They need 900 feet of rainwater to restore Lake Mead. 900 hmm. feet of, of rain. Now, it could happen in Montana and Nebraska and uh, the, the, uh, the areas where the mountains kind of drain down to the Colorado. 900 feet is what they are below. This is a catastrophe that it looks to me, and anyone paying uh, uh, attention, that this is going to happen here. So if we know that these things are going to occur, we now have the government of the state of California, which is ordering vaccinations, which is ordering basically anything that is opposed to human uh, to, to human flourishing. Uh, the the governor the governor Gruesome Newsom is basically ordering the citizens to carry it out, and uh, unfortunately for the good people that live in California, many of the uh, the useful idiots are carrying this stuff out. Again, this is an offense to me. This is an offense against God. This is remember the state of California in an official. An official statement on behalf of the government of California renounced Yanipero Sira, Father Yanipero Sira, a canonized Catholic saint, a man who did more good for the natives of California. It's, it's inestimable the good that Father Sira did. Well, he's not Father Yanipero Sira anymore. Now he's slave driving criminal Sira. Uh, I don't think that California escapes what looks to me to be uh, a little bit of, uh, of uh, what's the word we use? chastisement for its action. Yeah, it's turning into it's turning into a real sewer. I mean, I know somebody here who um, I guess it depends on where in California, but I know somebody, uh, a, a very close friend of ours, moved here from California, and when she was going to get a U-Haul truck. Um, the guy, she had, a, she was on a waiting list and the guy says, oh, so you're moving out of California too. And, and she, she was, she was, uh, not so it, because she had been busy with her move and everything. She didn't realize what was going on. She told me that it's, it's this sort of epiphenomenon in California that it's being depopulated. People just are sick of California. They're moving out. Um, so, and, and, uh, you know, Babylon B made a spoof song about it. I wish we all could leave California now. Um, 
<laughs> they, they took the Beach Boys song and and um, and it's it's about this thing. I mean, people re, people in California are moving the heck out, and um, you know, gr- good job, Gavin. You know, you're destroying your tax base. I wish we all could leave California. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Uh, there, there was a, there, Maggie's telling me there are a few stores in California that couldn't keep up with the U-Haul demand, so they just closed. Yeah. And, and, and that's that. My friend, my friend uh, Antoinette. That's exactly what she experienced. Um, I mean, she was able to get one, but um, they were like having difficulty keeping up with the demand. Imagine being in a business like that when you're, you know, you're happy for all this business you've got, but you realize that wait a minute, that means that down the road we'll probably have to close up. We have business that's going to kill our business. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, and and um, and the, the the silly song by the Babylon Bee folks, it, 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 which by the way, you, you you said it exactly. That's exactly how they sing it. Uh, and uh, they, they great parody they, uh, minds think alike. <laughs> there's a guy crying outside of a U-Haul center because he can't get a U-Haul to move out. <laughs> by the by, I don't know if you saw it, uh, but Seth Dillon, who is the founder of the Babylon Bee, was on. With that uh, that that Mason, uh, that Mason worshiping Joe Rogan, um, and he completely handed Rogan and all the Masons and all his Masonic thoughts. He completely destroyed his argument against contraception and abortion at any I, stage. I, I believe I heard it because you replayed it. I did. Um, I, I was did. I was I was breakfasting with you the other day, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, that that's phenomenal. I mean, he was absolutely unremitting. He was absolutely unyielding, uh, and Rogan, you notice Rogan backed down. I mean, he completely backed down. I, he, I thought he was going to convert on the spot. <laughs> and you know, which I guess it's kind of Rogan way he he brings somebody on that he doesn't necessarily agree with and he inter- I haven't heard a lot of Joe Rogan I've heard a little bit but apparently he's really good at finding interesting people to interview and he asks some good questions so that these people can can um, give their answers and, and he kind of lets them talk and in this case he was apparently unguarded and you know I hope the guy's got goodwill and that he sees the issues uh, but that that was that was very impressive and it, it goes to show you, because so many pro-lifers are just mealy-mouthed and weak and weak-kneed and they get pushed and they just collapse. I'm not saying every of them, and I'm not saying most of them, but many pro-lifers just, they, they, they need that good example of somebody who says, no, I don't back down. This is child murder. This is a unique human being. Moment of conception has its own unique DNA. Boom. Boom. Stamped with, with, with an absolute... Uh, a unique ID tag from God Himself that you can't deny that 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 DNA. I mean, we know too much. In the 1950s, they knew too much about the then emerging science of embryology or fetology, whatever they called it at the time, to know that to, to think that abortion was something conscionable uh, legally even in a secular society. They knew too much about it. And now we know so much about um, the, 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 the other sciences that surround it, such as genetics, to know, wait a minute, this is a unique person. This isn't, you know, my body, my choice is actually a good legal argument. And you notice that the pro-aborts were not using it during the COVID craziness because most of the pro-aborts were also, mo- not all, but most, were also COVID crazy. Um, so they weren't saying my body, my choice. They were really quiet about that. 
but but of course when 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 you know after the covid thing sort of went away or went in the background until it can be useful to come out again then you got uh, the overturning of Roe. Then all of a sudden they dusted off the My Body, My Choice placards and took them back out. And so, But My Body, My Choice has literally no application, 0.0 application to the, pro, pro, to the pro-life versus abortion debate because uh, it's not your body, honey. Your body has your own DNA, your own blood type. It's, it's marked to be you. The, the child in your womb who's dependent upon you for a time uh, has a unique DNA. It's not you. It's not your body. Therefore, it's not your choice. Brother Andre Maurice St. Benedict Center and the host of Reconquest on the uh, Comrex uh, Dude Maker Hotline here with us on a Wisdom Wednesday. Uh, you can find all the Wisdom Wednesday episodes easy, easy peasy to find now at the all-new CrusadeChannel.com website. As a matter of fact, as soon as Justin publishes uh, today's at 8 p.m. tonight, it will show up on the front page on, under, under that tab, the latest. So easy, easy to find, and uh, there'll be a brand new episode here tonight. Brother Audrey and I are, are talking about the, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the true common good and the failures of our state or the state uh, to even <clears throat> uh, as, as the the natural common good uh, that's all around us, like water, for example, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, continues to crumble. But, brother, I wanted to turn your attention to what Mr. Lieberman writes here at a new material agenda for a new GOP. I'm not all down with that, but I am down with this. A third, a third Morrill Act is needed to provide training in building trades, practical nursing, and computer science in the spirit of the residential agricultural and mechanical colleges of the 1880s. Almost all vocational training today takes place in non-residential institutions. The vision that once informed the Tuskegee and Hampton Institutes conceived as schools for artisans and small businessmen with workshops as well as classrooms was decried uh, by the Marxist W.E.B. Dubois and others as perpetuating slavery. Uh, the historically black colleges became, as the sociologist David Reisman observed in the academic revolution, conventional colleges of the inferior type. Vocational education in high schools is terra incognita to, <laughs> to liberal reformers. Several years ago, it was discovered that Baltimore's flagship science high school did not have a single computer science teacher. Uh, what he's basically calling for here, and I completely agree, and I know that you do as well, in principle, is this. You can call them associations. You can call them guilds. You can call them uh, uh, private membership associations or, or whatever you wish to call them. What he's basically saying is what everyone should be knowing right now, what everyone should be apprised of, and we talk about it on Every Free Farm Friday Ladies and gentlemen, we, we at, at the turn of the 19th century, it was 93% to 7%. You know what the 93% signified, brother? Uh, those, countryside the countryside well, no, dwellers. No, well, I mean, kind of, but those that made things. Ah, farmers. Okay. What Rory Groves in his awesome book that you can get in the Founders Trading Post called Durable Trades. 93% of Americans were employed or, or practiced a vocation 
See how they use nominalism again to turn vocation into career, right? Practice a vocation that was a durable trade, meaning it endures. Do you know what the number was when Rory wrote that book in 2021? Uh, the last number that he could get was 2019. You know what the number was in 2019? I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess 17%. Three. Whoa! 97.3. Now, obviously, this is not sustainable, you, the third world, what we call the third world, slave chi Chinese communist Chicom labor and Mexicans are not going to endure. This too shall end. So all he's doing is basically here saying, go back to the farm. You've yeah. got go back well, to mean, the it, farm, go back to the mechanics, go back to the trades, go back to and stop calling them careers. It's not a career. Pick a vocation that you love and, and love your vocation. You love being a brother. You also love, I'm sure at some level, you love being a teacher. And you're a good one. You're a really good teacher. Uh, that's a vocation. That's not brother's career. That's what his life is about. Uh, now, that doesn't mean everyone takes the habit, brother. Uh, but we kind yeah. of all get well, to yeah. The word vocation has a multitude of applications. You're using the word vocation in a broader sense. Yes. Not the calling from God. To uh, to enter into uh, uh, one of the higher states, that's that's vocation in the church. But we use the word vocation more broadly to to discuss to to to, to reference what what your chosen mode of life, your chosen right. mode of living. Um, so yeah, so that you vo-tech schools, for instance, vocational technical schools, use the vocation in that sense. I, th I think, Mike, what we really need is to think in terms, because what is it that leads to people's career paths, quote-unquote, or their vocational paths in the broad sense? Um, what is it that leads to it? It's education. It's how you, we choose to educate people. And how have we chosen to educate people? What, what we've done is this. Okay, th there's a low culture and there's a high culture. There are um, servile arts and there are liberal arts. Servile arts, by the way, include uh, not just you know your plumbers and your and your and your uh, handymen and your jacks of all trades and your, but servile arts also include your doctors, your lawyers, your dentists, guys that drive beamers, right? Guys that have to charge way 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 overcharge for their services because they have car payments and kids in expensive colleges. Oh, now, Why is it called servile? Why is it called servile? It's called servile because they serve other people. Okay. Liberal arts are called liberal because it improves the man as a free man, period. Oh, no. Now, brother is going to talk about the difference between the make and the do. Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 point in this is, is, my point in this is what we've done is we've taken the servile arts and liberal arts and we've blended them up. There's a Keene State College here, this paragon of wokeism, where, where, where sexual fluidity is the order of the day. You can, you can stand at the, at the entrance of the college and, and, and bet on which is a girl or which is a boy, you know, uh, because you can't <laughs> tell, you know. Um, you get odds? So not, obviously, not everybody there is that way. Obviously, I know some graduates who aren't like that at all. But it's a mess. And, and it's deliberately, by their own choice, a mess on these things because they're, 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 they're ideologically woke. But um, it calls itself a liberal arts college. It's not a liberal arts college. Every, everything that they promote is completely servile. And I don't mean servile as in immoral. I mean servile as in you're going to go into something where you're serving other people. That's not bad. 
But what I'm saying is we've obliterated the distinction. And as a result, because we have obliterated the distinction and we've removed the purpose from education to educating men and women to be free human beings, pursuing common goods, pursuing human goods. Yes. We've made them into cogs in a freaking machine, not just a socialist machine, even the capitalist machine, and that, and that was going on for decades. And what we've done is we've taken all the education and we've homogenized it and amalgamated it, and we've made, put, it, put it into the least common denominator, and we've made something that's neither fish nor fowl, and we've dumped people down, and we've made them pure service industry drones. And that's what you get. I mean, when I graduated from LSU, where well, I didn't graduate from LSU, I graduated from Holy Paul. But when I sat through graduation after graduation at LSU in the band, um, we we watched. You know, the the biggest schools were what the School of Business, School of Accounting, right? Here it was in the School of Music, we're puny, right? But the the um, when you when you look at this, what are we doing? We're sending out armies of accountants. Uh, they're going to have careers in the government. You know, they work for the IRS. They're going to work for you know big, huge corporations, and they're going to have a LinkedIn page, and they're going to be constantly pursuing other jobs, other jobs, other jobs, other jobs. So the way we're educating people is to prepare them for th for this, for this this pursuit of a career. And what what's what's happening is, well, society's going to hell in a handbasket. We can't make things anymore. Not only, but not, not only can we not make things anymore, practically, we don't know the higher things. So again, we're neither fish nor fowl. We're, we're, we're neither trained for the practical arts, the servile arts, like your durable trades of the gentleman uh, who wrote the book. Rory Grove. So we're, we're, we're dysfunctional there, uh, which means that when things go to pot quickly, when the when the infrastructure breaks down like it's in Jack like it is in Jackson Mississippi when it gets worse all over you're going to have precious few people who are going to be able to to do stuff practically but then we've also dumbed ourselves down so that we don't know the liberal arts either i'm speaking in very broadly general terms obviously there are huge swaths of exceptions but th this is what we've lost, and we have to get back the proper ideas concerning education. Don't send your kids to Fordham and Georgetown and, and these, these, these post-Catholic institutions. Um, or they, they've all compromised. They've all, they've all um, sold out. And the ideals of, of education that went into the founding of these institutions have been sold out, and they're participating in this servile education as well. Yeah, and uh, it's to recover these things that uh, some people uh, like me are on a mission to do. Brother Andre, do you have? To, uh, I need to get you out now, right? We got to stay on well, our schedule. Well, d d my my understanding is we have till ten thirty. Okay. Nine nine forty nine forty five. Splendid. Wait, 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 wait. What was our What was our time? Not, oh gosh! I, I think you guys said I could give you forty-five minutes, Mike. <laughs> I, I I did actually, but we can go to ten thirty because that's what I had in my head. So well, I planned around that. Okay, well let's let, let's get out of here quickly. Uh, I want your take on what you have heard, and if, if not, I'll I'll try to fill you in on the conversion of Shia LaBeouf playing Saint Padre Pio in this film, and the fact that um, and this is what is uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of commentators have missed is that Bishop Barron, and many people call him Bishop Beefcake for very good reasons, Bishop Barron, uh, word on fire, was completely sandbagged 
by LaBeouf. <laughs> he had no clue that he was going to have to uh, was going to have to try and pretend like he knew things about sacred tradition, because all he could say was, "But, but guitar mash, church in the round, cool." And Shia LaBeouf was having none of it. He was like, "No, it's not. I I converted because I got." I, he said he saw the brothers. And Petrol uh, outside the, uh, I guess he was. Petrolchina. Petrolchina. That he saw the, I, I assume there's still brothers there, that he saw the work, the ethic, and the, and the life of the brothers. And he said he was sleeping in his truck. No, no, because it was in uh, the first part of his pre preparation was, uh, he went to a monastery somewhere. It must have been in California. Because he said he was sleeping in his truck. And then the brothers finally said, hey, why don't you come in? You know, you can, you can sleep, <laughs> you, can, you can come in here. And he saw this beautiful life that they were living. And then when he you know, when they began to get into the role, did you know that priests that are can that one of the canons of the ICK trained him to say the mass for the film? No, Institute of Christ the King. Uh, absolutely, was an ICK priest uh, that trained him. They gave his name in the story that we did last. I can't remember his name, but yes, I was even marveling. I'm like, wow, he got trained by an ICK. Well, those guys the, and and the, and those those uh, priests are extremely astutely trained liturgically. So they they couldn't have picked a better a better group to to, to find uh, his training from. Um, yeah, no, you know, I did not see the whole interview. I, I didn't even see the clip. I, I read it. I read the excerpts. Okay. And I la I think I I l l o l d. I literally laughed out loud when I read him. The, the, Bishop Barron apparently, as you say, sandbagged to taken aback when 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 he says how much he loves the Latin Mass. B Bishop Barron says, well, why? And he says, because I feel like somebody's not trying to sell me a car. I mean, that says so much about the pedestrian nature of the new rights compared to the old. Um, and, you know, I, I knew immediately, it was a funny way of putting it, a hilarious way of putting it, I think. But it says so much, and I knew exactly what he meant. The, the new rights are so banal and, and, and by comparison, so pedestrian. Um, compared to the, the the incredibly transcendent beauty and um, you know subtlety and eloquence of the, of tradition, that it just doesn't compare. It didn't compare. And, and you know every you know there is a there is something of I can't say a long tradition, but there is something of a tradition of Hollywood types and even international uh, um, um, uh, actors. Um, by being exposed to to the to the culture of the Catholic Church, the the liturgical culture, the the, the sacred culture of the Church, uh, they 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 see it. They see the beauty of it. I, you know, there are multiple roads of conversion, Mike. But I think there are three sort of main arteries, three main um, interstates, if you will, uh, or sort of intergalactic uh, highways uh, <laughs> that lead to the to the Church. And one is truth, one is goodness, one is beauty. And you and you you find these people who quote read themselves into the church. They're doggedly in pursuit of the truth, and that's all they want. And they find it in the church because that's where it is. That's the only place you're going to find it. There's there are the people who um, their their superhighway is goodness, 
because they see the moral goodness of the saints. They see the moral attractiveness of the divine law as it is taught by the Catholic Church. Okay. And that goodness attracts them. You know, bonum est diffusivum sui. Goodness is diffusive of itself. And they see that in the church because that's where it is again. And then there are the people who take the superhighway of beauty. And the, the beauty, of course, is uh, intrinsic to what goes on at the Mass, to what goes on at a baptism, to what goes on in any liturgical, sacramental rite, um, uh, uh, the divine office, etc. And then you have those sort of accidental accretions that, that are added to these inherently beautiful supernatural things, the sacraments, for instance, you have these beautifully added, the, the, the add-ons, you know, if we talk about add-on value, you know, the Gregorian chant, the sacred polyphony, the, the, the sacred art, the, 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 the murals, the frescoes, the, st the stained glass windows, uh, the, the Gothic architecture, the Romanesque architecture, the Baroque architecture. Um, you, you get exposed to this. If you have an eye for beauty, if beauty is your thing, huh? And, and, and artists and actors and, and you know, the, 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 those people are attracted to beauty. That's their thing. They often will come into the church because they see that. Now, I'm not saying you can't cross these superhighways. You can't be interested in all three at the same time or, or some blend of them according to some priority, personal priority. But I, I, in my observation of converts, that has been something that I've walked away with. Uh, when, they, when, you, when you ask a convert, why did you convert? You know, for, for Shia LaBeouf, based upon what I read of that interview, it was the sheer beauty, the, the moral beauty, which is, of course, goodness, but also the, the, the liturgical beauty and so forth. This is um, how, um, what's his name? Um, um, uh, uh, the guy that was Luke Skywalker's mentor. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So Obi-Wan Kenobi converted... Uh, you know, Alec Guinness, Sir Alec Guinness, Sir uh, Alec Guinness. Uh, Sir Alec Guinness, thank you. I didn't want to say Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but Sir Alec Guinness converted. And, you know, there, there was a, an English After actor. After playing Father Brown. Yes. And all these little foreign kids, I think they were Italian kids, were kissing his hand because they thought he was a priest. Mia Padre, like Mia Padre. <laughs> yeah, with the, he's wearing, he's wearing, the, uh, he's wearing the, 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 cassock. The, the, the cassock and the Saturno and all this stuff looking like a priest. And he saw this, you know, he just, he got sort of immersed in Catholic culture and he saw the beauty of it. Now, there's, there, there was, a, I forget, it was not Guinness, it was, there was another actor who played Martin Luther in a film. And in order to play Martin Luther, what did he have to do? Well, he had to study the life of Martin Luther because he wanted to get into the character he was playing. <laughs> and this guy was an Anglican, right? He was some kind of a... I think it was Ustinov, Peter Ustinov. That sounds don't, don't right. Don't quote me on that. Sounds don't right. quote me on that. But I think it was Peter... I say this on radio. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> Peter Ustinov, I think, converted to Catholicism. If it wasn't he, it was somebody in that same uh, uh, um, um, general um, orbit. Um, somebody of that quality. He studied Martin Luther's life. And in studying the life of Martin Luther, he said, oh my God, I'm going to become a Catholic. 
<laughs> which, which to me, that's like, okay, he's, he's going for the beauty thing as an actor, you know, the, the aesthetical thing in film, but he just got too convinced by the truth, and that became his super highway into the church. Well, let me give you another uh, thing here. We have uh, uh, six minutes. By the way, some breaking news out there. Uh, uh, you won't believe this, but you will believe it. The FDA has just granted, quote, emergency use, close quote, authorization for Pfizer's and Moderna's updated booster M-RNA injections. This stuff is killing people the world over now. It is killing people thousands by the day. And now they're, they're, they're uh, no, no, take more. In other words, not enough of you are dying. Speed the process up here. This, uh, mm -hmm. folks, uh, I'm look, the, the events have begun. Secondly, I will add the uh, uh, Governor DeSantis is suing the FDA, and they're suing the FDA because they're going like, you can't stop us from buying drugs from Canada and Mexico. You're, you're, you can't stop us. I'm going to sue you. So DeSantis is doing that. Third thing is, I just want to go, go back to Shia LaBeouf for just a, a, a second here. And I, I don't know if you saw this part of the story. You probably didn't. How did he come into the church? Through all the beauty that he saw, and also through the rosary. And he told Bishop Barron, he goes, I just picked it up. It was so beautiful, and I wanted to learn how to pray it. So he learned the, uh, the uh, he learned the Pater Noster, he learned the Ave Maria, he learned the Gloria. Uh, and he said in a very little funny passage, he goes, I just started praying it, and I didn't even know the dismount prayers. That's what he called them. The dismount the prayers. Dismount prayers. <laughs> he said, I didn't even know the dismount prayers, but I was praying the rosary, and I was crying, and I was thinking about my mother who had disowned me. And my mother, my holy mother, Mary told me, put the rosary down and call your real mother. Call your mother. And wow. I did, and I called my mother, and I told her that I was that I was converting, and that I was praying the rosary, and she started bawling her eyes out and took me back. Now this happened post March 25th. So again, the Mother of God is giving us ample evidence and signs that not only is she still with us, but that her immaculate heart is triumphing. Shia LaBeouf gave Mary credit. For his conversion. I mean, he gave the church credit, of course, and our Lord, but it was the rosary brother that threw him over the top. Coincidence? I think not. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the March 25th thing is, is uh, yeah, I, I mean, remember, Our Lady didn't promise Shia LaBeouf would be converted. She promised a conversion <laughs> of Russia and peace, and we don't have either of those yet. So I'll just say that and it's leave coming, it. It's coming, it's but, coming. Um, but, but Shia, well, I know it's coming, but but will it result from that? I don't know. With each passing day, whether that was the act or not is, is becoming more and more doubtful to me. Um, but the when we look at, um, but Our Lady has always been working through history. She's always been working to convert people. This is nothing new. True. And, you know, look at look at today's saint, Saint Raymond, Raymond Nonnatus. His name means not born. And but why? Because he was taken out of his mother's carcass because she died in childbirth. And um, so he was, strictly speaking, not born. And kind of like Macduff uh, recently mentioned in a very funny commercial. Um, and it was, it was because Macduff was, was taken out of his mother's dead body, I believe, that he was a man not born of woman. And that's why he could kill Macbeth. Um, huh. So, that, 
I'm exhausting my Shakespearean knowledge there. If, if somebody who knows more than I is listening, you can correct me. Well, don't worry. You can learn everything you need this weekend in the Shakespeare Radio Film Fest. Yeah, but the, when you when you so so Raymond Nonatus because his mother w w he never knew his mother his his natural mother so uh, he he cultivated a very strong devotion to Our Lady and that's what led him to join the Mercedarian Order the 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 the, the Order of Our Lady of Mercy for the redemption of captives. So um, and, and this is this is how he could you know sell himself into slavery to uh, free Christians which he did. Um, and ended up, uh, you know, he got he himself got freed up after that. He didn't die in captivity. But that order, along with the Trinitarians who did a similar work, they produced buckets of, of, of uh, martyrs because of the, the work of literally selling themselves into slavery. To, to, so they did two things. They, they raised money to redeem captives from the Muslims. This is in the 13th century. But they also, um, if, if needed, they had a th fourth vow. And if under the command of their superiors, they would exchange themselves for Christian captives who were in danger of losing the faith or apostatizing or whatever. And these men oftentimes were tortured to death, like yeah. St. Serapion, who's one of their saints. He was put on a ship's mast and, and, and eviscerated. Um, you know, Are these Mercedarians, so, you said, brother, or this is another one? Mercedarians. Okay. Mercedarians, yeah. All right, the Trinitarians did the same work. Brother, you have one minute left, and I'm going to get you out on time because you're a, Thank you. you're a headmaster and you must keep your schedule. Uh, you must lead by example. You wouldn't want to be showing up five minutes late and having the kids looking at their watches. So Yes, uh, I have to master my head, yes. <laughs> Brother, what is tonight's episode of Reconquest all about? Tonight's episode of Reconquest is uh, called "Praying with the wor Church's Words." Praying with the Church's Words, and I and I'm I gave this massive truncation of almost a year's worth of work on all of my pieces on on Catholicism.org called "What's in That Prayer," where I make these co commentaries on the the collects of the day. By the way, if you want to know about what the Church has to say about Saint Raymond. Um, uh, non natus, read the collect for today. It prays that we be liberated from sin, just as he liberated people from bondage to the infidel. So, yeah, the, the, the collects are treasure troves, and I tried to unpack some of that treasure in the show tonight. Fantastic. Next week, I'm going to go give you a heads up when I, uh, I'm not busy building new websites and have time. Um, uh, next Wisdom Wednesday, uh, I listened to a Sunday sermon this past uh, Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, about my patron saint and my confirmation saint, Saint Augustine. And the most amazing thing, I had never heard this before, that when Saint Augustine was uh, when he was preparing for his baptism, and Saint Ambrose would baptize him, he was shacked up at this house in Milan with with two other uh, two other guys, and uh, Cassisicum. He was in Cassisicum. Oh, Cassisicum. Um, and that he that he went out into the garden and he got on his knees and he told God because one of them had suggested, "Don't just become a Catholic, you become a priest. You pursue the life of celibacy, become a celibate." And Saint Augustine said that he uh, ultimately that he did so because he thought a wife would just quote get in his way. <laughs> Close quote. But he got in, went into the garden, the way the priest told the story. He went into the garden and he asked, he told God, he goes, I can't do this continent thing. You have to do it for me. And then he received supernatural uh, grace, as this priest described it, uh, of continents. It was just a wonderful, wonderful story. I'm going to play it again this sermon Sunday. 
Um, uh, you'll have, and we'll, and you and I can exchange the messages, uh, brother. Best, uh, we'll continue praying for the school at the St. Benedict Center. Y'all all need to make plans to attend the St. Benedict Center conference. Go to Catholicism.org at the top of the page. Wait for the scroll. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Boom! There it is. Click the link and go sign up today, October seventh and eighth, and I will see all of you there. All right, brother, go to class. All right, yes, sir. God bless you, and God bless our listeners. Take care. Uh, thank you very much, and God bless you, too, and everyone at the St. Benedict Center as well.